take your Bible tonight, would you please, and open up to Revelation chapter 20. Oh, hallelujah, the tribulation is finally over. Uh, How about that? It's been seven long years of preaching, but it's finally done. Feels like we've been preaching on the tribulation a long time, doesn't it? Months, anyhow. Chapter 19, we saw four major events happen. We saw the rejoicing in heaven over Babylon's destruction. Babylon the Great really isn't so great. You know, a lot of people think Hollywood is great. They sing, hooray for Hollywood. But I tell you, you know, the truth is Hollywood isn't that great. It is a cesspool of sin. And in order to survive there, you have to be able to swim with those sharks and maybe become a shark. It is a horrible cesspool. Uh, Likewise, all of the uh, gambling in Nevada and Las Vegas. Boy, there's some places in the world that are just hotbeds for wickedness and sin. Babylon the Great is going to be a composite of all of these these things, you know. And yes, there will be some some nice things, color TVs and so on you can buy in Babylon the Great. But the sin will be absolutely atrocious. And we saw the final destruction of that. We saw the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw the return of Jesus to the earth with his armies. Uh, And that takes place at Armageddon. And we also saw the destruction of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And those two will never rear their heads ever again. Well, praise the Lord once again. Tribulation is finally over. Now comes the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are in chapter 20. Now in chapter 20, we will be seeing four more major events take place. They are the binding of Satan, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, Satan being loosed for a little season. And number four, the great white throne judgment of the wicked. Now tonight is part one. And there's too much there to study in one night. So it's part one. We'll study the first two major events. Now, what we're looking at here, literally, folks, is the last thousand years of recorded time. Because after chapter 20, it's like time is no more. We enter into the eternal state. And time as we know it will will cease. Let's have a word of prayer now together. Our Father, we thank you that in Christ we're on the winning side. And as we've gone through Revelation, 19 chapters now, we're into the 20th chapter and just two more to go when we finish the whole book. And we freely admit, dear Heavenly Father, that there are things in the book of Revelation that we're not quite 100% sure what they are. But there are many things that we do know what they are. But our Father, we don't have to know everything. But we need to know the one who knows everything. And we thank you that you have all of the answers. Even the answers to life's problems. Our Heavenly Father, please increase our faith tonight as we read and study, talk about these things. Holy Spirit of God, use them to make us stronger in Christ and increase our faith. Increase our prayer as well. Increase our sense of godliness and piety and holiness help us to walk circumspectly in this world and to keep ourselves unspotted. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on all who are here tonight and all who are watching tonight on the internet. Please have thine own way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, two major events for tonight. Number one, the binding of Satan. And we have it here in chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, the truth is, Satan will be bound. You know, there's an old song that talked about how Satan bound us, but how Jesus set us free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. You ever heard that one? Then there's a chorus. Oh no, you're saying he's going to sing the chorus. Yes, he is. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. That's all I'll say. But you get the idea? Satan is a binder. But the day is coming when the binder will be bound. You get it? Satan will be bound. Hallelujah. Now, there can be no peace on earth until Satan is bound. Right now, he's not bound. And there's no peace on earth, is there? Satan has been a great deceiver ever since day one, since the Garden of Eden. And he has deceived men and women to commit sin. And he convinces men and women that they need to do this or drink this or consume this or say this or go here or go there or stop doing this or stop doing that. And he's a great deceiver is what he is. A tremendous magician, I suppose, And he has deceived men and women for thousands of years into all sorts of sin. Now, it's important for us to note that when Satan is bound, there will be no more deception upon planet Earth. Now, that's a thought that we we need to think through a little bit more. There will be no more deception on planet Earth. That means no fraudsters, no tricksters, no hucksters. No con artists, no deceivers, no liars, no hoaxes, no phony news. No one will be deceived into Satan. It will not happen because Satan will be bound. If anyone on earth commits sin, it'll be because of outright rebellion to Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verse one. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now notice that we're just talking about an angel. It's not a great angel. It's not a superior angel, a great angel with superior strength. This is an ordinary angel. Now I find that very interesting. It's, it's, it's not the great angel that binds Satan. It's simply an angel suggesting that he's only got average angel strength, whatever that might be. Well, what happened here? What happened to Satan? What happened to this great dragon who was so strong that even Michael, the archangel, durst not bring a railing accusation against him? What happened to this this, uh, enemy, this, this created being who was the most powerful created being in all of, of, of God's kingdom? Whatever happened to this, this Satan? Well, I suggest to you that by this point, the tribulation's over. God has diminished Satan's power. This might be similar to how a once mighty strong man 
who could at one time bend a bar of steel in his hands. Now he's old. Now he can barely get his shoes on, let alone bend any bar of steel. And this might be what happens to Satan and how humiliating it will be because it won't be Michael the archangel bringing the great chain. It'll be just a simple angel tasked with the job of taking this chain and binding Satan. How humiliating will this be for Satan, the enemy of our souls, who up to this point even is so powerful and so strong and that, that Michael durst not bring a railing accusation against him. He is the most powerful of all created beings. Now, God, of course, is the creator and he's much more powerful. But as far as created beings go, all the angels and all the people, Satan is by far, 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 far the most powerful. And how humiliating will this be? Satan will literally have gone from riches to rags. This is a story that we see on planet Earth. Men that sometimes go from rags to riches end up in rags again. How humiliating that must be. Ramesh Chandra of India was once one of the richest men in the world, owning a real estate empire worth over $11 billion. However, in 2001, his company got involved with a national scandal, which sent it spiraling and resulted in Chandra losing most of his wealth. How humiliating that must have been. Adolf Merkel was once one of Germany's richest people with a personal wealth of around $12.8 billion. But by the end of 2008, his investment firm reported $6 billion in losses. Merkel then played, played a huge gamble by making a series of risky investments, which ultimately failed and cost him even more money. After losing almost all his money, Merkel tragically ended his life by throwing himself in front of a train. Sean Quinn was once one of the, well, perhaps he was the richest person in all of Ireland. He had a net value of about $6 billion. Soon after the financial crisis hit the Irish banking system, Quinn lost almost all of his family wealth and filed for personal bankruptcy in 2011. How humiliating that must be for these men who were at one point the richest men in the world to see it all come crumbling down on them. Well, in verse 2, we find that Satan is bound. And so he, that's the angel, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And so here, Satan is to be bound with the great chain found in verse 1. Now, apparently, unless Satan is bound, that old rascal is going to cause more trouble. And so there's some sort of binding process that has to happen, requiring a great chain. I don't know all of the details of it, but we're told here that without this great chain to bind him, we can only assume that Satan will cause more mischief. You know, even though his power has been greatly weakened, he's still stronger than any human, and it requires an angel with a chain to, be, to bind him. And so we get to verse 3. Now, binding Satan is not enough. God has to do something else. It says, 
and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should not deceive the nations no more. Wow. Satan will be cast into a bottomless pit. Do you know what a bottomless pit is? Well, I did some research. It's a pit without a bottom. I'm telling you the truth. That's what it is. Now, the Greek word is uh, avisos. And avisos, from avisos, or some pronounce it abisos, we get the English word abyss. How many have ever heard the English word abyss? Raise your hand. That's just about everyone. The abyss. Abyss. It sounds like a mysterious word. Sort of is. What is an abyss? It's a pit without a bottom. That's what it is. A bottomless pit. That's what we're talking about. An abyss is a deep, measureless void. You can't measure it. It just keeps on keeping on. So it's a pit without a bottom. It literally defies all known laws of three-dimensional science and gravity. The, you know, the, the scientists of the world, they cannot define properly. They can't get their minds around a bottomless pit. Now, a pit with a bottom they can understand, but then so can we. But when you take the bottom away and you, there's nothing, it just keeps falling and falling. There is no bottom. You never come to the bottom. Well, what is that? And Satan will keep falling. He'll be bound up with this chain somehow around him. And he'll be cast in. That means to throw with some oomph behind it. Like that, see? And he'll be cast into this bottomless pit. And he'll keep falling and falling and falling for a thousand years. He'll keep falling and falling. He'll have no ground to stand on. He'll have nothing to grab hold of. He'll keep falling and falling and falling. And apparently this is what God has in mind. And it's the only way at this point for God to kind of put a lid on him and, and, and sort of muzzle him and keep him quiet for a thousand years. He won't have anything to grab hold of. The bottomless pit is a special holding tank you say, does it exist? I believe it does. I believe that is, it is in existence as we speak. It's out there. We just can't see it. Probably a good thing too. But the bottomless pit is a, a holding tank, if you will, where God puts certain evil spirits. And I want you to see this. Turn back a couple pages to chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. Here we have the fifth angel. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven upon the earth, unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Hey, there it is. You know, the bottomless pit is mentioned a few times in the book of Revelation. He opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the earth darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And so this pit has got smoke in it. So smoke usually comes from fire. Now, we, we can't say for sure, for sure, but there seems to be fire in this pit and smoke, and it's bottomless. And so down they've been falling. For thousands of years, they've been falling, 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 these evil creatures here. 
And uh, they came out of the uh, smoke, verse 3, locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, we've studied all of this. These are not those actual physical little locusts. Their description is given. And boy, they're nothing like the locusts we have on earth today. But they have a, uh, a similarity in John's eyes to locusts. Look also, would you please, at chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 7. It says, and when they shall have finished their testimony, this is the, the two witnesses. The two, we don't know who they are, Moses and Elijah. They could be, but whoever they are, whoever they will be, these two witnesses, when they finish their three and a half year ministry on earth, it says, now the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now we've learned about this beast. This beast is the Antichrist. It's my belief, and I could be wrong, but it's my belief that the Antichrist will start off with a human soul inside a human body, just like us. We have a human soul inside a human body. But at the three and a half year point, he will be assassinated and his dead body will lay there. And then a demon out of the bottomless pit will take over. And that's what will bring him back to life. Because he is an absolutely changed creature after this point. After this point, when the demon takes over his body, it's like he's got fire in his eyes. He demands worship. He's out for blood. He wants to kill, kill, kill. And that's what happens in the second half of the tribulation. It gets really, really nasty. Well, the bottomless pit... Also, you can look at chapter 17 and verse number 8. And it's mentioned again, the beast that thou sawest uh, was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So there you have three of the four. And here in chapter 20, you have four of the four mentions of the bottomless pit. It's nowhere else mentioned in all the Bible that expression, the bottomless pit. Now, talking about the bottomless pit, how many here have read the, the little book of Jude? It's only a chapter long. It's in the end of the New Testament. Raise your hand. You've read Jude. Okay. Has anyone here never read Jude? Well, it's an easy one to read. But in verse 6, it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That verse may refer to this bottomless pit here. So Jude chapter 1 verse 6. Now back to chapter 20 of Revelation and verse number 3. It says here, he shut up, sealed put upon him, that he should not deceive, they should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So notice here that Satan must be loosed for a little season. Now that's kind of crazy, kind of maddening for us. We think, oh no, why do that? We just got the genie back in the jar. Why let him loose? He's a horrible creature. He's a deceiver. We got him in there. Why don't we just keep him in there, huh? Why, why do we have to let him out? Well, we won't be the ones letting him out, actually. But the Bible here says that he must be loosed. 
You say, why must he be let out? Here's why. In order to fully complete the plans of Almighty God. That's why, believe it or not, Satan has got to be let out. Now, let me explain. We don't have the time tonight, but if you go home and you carefully read through Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, you'll read about the thousand-year millennial kingdom that we'll be talking about here. That's point number two. Reading Isaiah 65 and 66 carefully, you'll understand that by the end of the thousand years, there will be millions and millions of new people in the world. Babies will be born. They'll grow up. There'll be millions and millions of people by the end of the thousand years. And here's the point, that people who are born in the millennial kingdom will need to be saved. People who are entering in, everyone who enters into the millennial kingdom is already saved. But these people are going to have babies, and these babies are going to grow up and they will need to be saved. And I believe most will, but many will not. By letting Satan loose for a little season, Satan will gather together all of the unsaved, and he will try one last shot at attacking the Holy Kingdom and trying to overthrow God. Therefore, Satan must be loosed for a little season. And in our next lesson, which will be two weeks from now, I believe, we're going to finish off Revelation chapter 20. We shall see what happens to Satan and these people. Next Wednesday, God willing, we have a missionary here. All right, so number one is the binding of Satan. Number two is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ and his saints. And this is in... Chapter 20, verses 4, 5, and 6. Now, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ is also called the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom. It's mentioned several times in the Bible. It's spoken of. I'll give you a few. You can write them down. But you can write down Isaiah 6, verses 6 to 7. Unto us a son is born, you remember that? And the government shall be upon his shoulders, remember that? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 12, you'll want to look that up. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 9, and then I'll give you two in the New Testament. Matthew 19 and 28, and Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. So you can look those verses up at your leisure, but they, they have reference to the millennial kingdom. Now, some people do not believe in a millennial kingdom. They don't believe that there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the millennial kingdom, and one of their reasons for not believing in the millennial kingdom is because the word millennium is not used in our King James Bible. Millennial kingdom is an expression not found in our King James Bible. However, the word millennium simply is a Latin version of a Greek word, hilii. Hilii means the very same thing as millennium or millennial. It means a thousand. They mean exactly the same thing.
So it's just a Latin word. The term thousand years is found in the Bible. Helii is used several times in the Bible, six times, in fact, in this chapter. And each time it refers to a literal 1,000 years. It's not referring to some mystical period of time. It refers to a thousand years. A thousand years is not something that, that we talk about much. We talk in terms of a year or 10 years. Sometimes we read in the news, scientists claim that in a hundred years, blah, blah, blah will happen. And we think, oh, hundred years. <laughs> doesn't involve me. But we don't talk in terms of a thousand years. It's just way out there, too long. And yet, when we get back here to the millennium, the millennial and the hilii and the thousand years, there are many excellent theological words that themselves are not found in the Bible, in our King James Bible, but they're used to describe things in the Bible. Just because the word millennial or millennial kingdom is not found in the Bible doesn't mean it's no good. There are several excellent words, theological words that are used to describe theological beliefs and doctrine. And these particular words are not found in the Bible. I'll give you some examples. Eternal sonship, not found. Deity, not found. Fall of man, not found. Depravity, not found. Trinity, not found. Incarnation, not found. At least in our King James Bibles. But they are well used to describe theological concepts. And so is millennial kingdom. So don't let anyone fool you on this. Now man has been around for give or take approximately 6,000 years. Now right away, the evolutionists and the people who believe in gap theory and so on and whatnot, they're, they're going to you know, take exception maybe to what I have to say. But prior to, well listen, from Adam to Jesus Christ is about 4,000 years. From Jesus Christ to today is about 2,000 years. These are all approximates, okay? So don't hold me to the day, week, or month but approximately 6,000 years of Earth's history has gone by. There's going to be one more unit of 1,000 years. It seems to line up with the six days of creation and how God rested on the seventh. We have 6,000 years of Earth's history of man being on the Earth and all of the things that have happened, and then we're coming to a time of peace. That's what the millennial kingdom is characterized by. And when Jesus comes and reigns, he is known as the Prince of Peace. And the thousand years will be characterized by peace. And it's like a shalom. It's like a rest. Ah, at last. Heavenly rest on earth. Well, what will the millennial kingdom be like? The Old Testament prophets... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then on into the minor prophets as well. They all throw something into the pot. They all have something to tell us. There will be no wars, no revolutions. 
People will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There will be peace on earth. There will be Garden of Eden-like conditions. The desert will blossom like a rose. The lion will eat straw. The lamb will lie down with the lion. There will be no infections, no COVID-19, no need to wear masks. There'll be no diseases. There'll be no death. There'll be no need for hospitals. There'll be no need for police and police stations, prisons. Everything will be wonderful because the Prince of Peace will be on the throne and will reign over all the earth from sea to mighty sea. Now, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, that's the Antichrist, neither his image, neither had received his mark, that's the 666, upon their foreheads or in their hands. These are the tribulation saints. They've been martyred. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so the tribulation martyrs will reign with Jesus Christ all through the millennial kingdom. They will have the privileged position of being able to be his emissaries, his ambassadors, his representatives. And they will help him to reign. Now the only people on earth to survive the tribulation by the time the end comes and Jesus comes back. The only people who will get to live will be saved people. God will make certain changes to their bodies. How he'll do it, we're not told. But God can do anything. If God created us, if he's the creator and we're the creation, he knows how we tick. He knows what he needs to do to make us change so that we can now live not for 70 years, not for 100 years or 200 years, but to live for a thousand years. The people who are left living alive on the earth at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back and all of the wicked are instantly put to death, the only people that are standing alive on the planet are saved people. Those are the only ones. They are ushered into this thousand-year millennial kingdom, but what God will do is change their bodies. He'll put changes somehow so that we don't get really old really soon. So we're not going to have arthritis and gout. We're not going to have, you know, spinal problems and pains in the neck. We're not going to have all of the things that accompany old age. It's not going to happen. The Lord will make certain changes so that people will be able to live a thousand years for the whole millennial kingdom. Now, these people will end up having babies. I mentioned to you Isaiah 65. Well, Isaiah 65 verse 20 indicates that at a hundred years of age, they'll still be children. Imagine that. How old is your son? He's a <laughs> hundred. Your little boy, that little guy? That fella, yeah, he just turned 100. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? 
But remember, back in the days before the flood, they lived for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, didn't they? And they would be having children. They'd get married and have children at 200 years of age. And that's something that we don't think of. We, we, it, it's not in our, our brain. We, we think, well, 20 years of age, you get married, maybe, and have kids, you know, you're 21, 22, your first child comes along, maybe, something like that. Well, according to Isaiah 65, 20, the, the young child will still be 100 years old. Now I ask you, is that strange or what? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sure it does, to our thinking but not to God's thinking, not in his economy. The millennial kingdom is going to change a lot of things, folks, and changes will be made in our bodies. Um, yet, people will still have the original sin from Adam still in there. It'll still be there. So that means that all of the saved people who enter into the millennial kingdom, they'll all be saved. They'll never go to hell. They're saved. And then they'll have babies. And these babies will grow up into adults. And these adults will need to be saved. Just like it is today. Saved people get together and get married. They have babies. The babies grow up. Hopefully, when they're still children, at a younger age, at least anyhow, they get saved. If not, maybe as teenagers, they get saved. If not, maybe in their early 20s. But the idea is they need to get saved. And the people that will be born in the millennial kingdom will need to be saved. Just the same salvation as what you and I have experienced. They'll need it as well. Some will get saved and some will not get saved. I think personally that the majority probably will get saved. Well, what about these unsaved? What will they do? They'll simply do what a lot of unsaved people do in churches today. They act like saved people. You walk up to them. Are you saved? Who, me? Yes, sir, I'm saved. Boy, Jesus and me, I tell you, we're like two peas in a pod. Jesus and me, we walk together. And yet they're not saved. It's all an act. They pretend to be saved. And there are people like that in churches all over the world like that, just like that. Some of the unsaved people in the millennial kingdom will rebel openly. And they'll say, I've had it. I don't want it anymore. I don't want this Jesus. And they will be judged immediately. The Bible says that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. Any open sinful rebellion will be dealt with immediately. No more of this arresting and putting them in a jail cell for a year and then another holding cell for two or three years until their case finally comes to court. And then maybe some slick tricks are used to get them, you know, uh, out, out of jail and avoid a sentence. A travesty of justice. We all know it happens today. It doesn't fool God, but it can fool men. That's not going to happen in the millennial kingdom. There will be no waiting. If someone rises up and does something, 
they'll be judged immediately. No waiting. Now, the, we get to verse 5. It says, The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so verse 5 talks about the first resurrection. You say, what does this mean? What is a first resurrection? Folks, it's a resurrection of life. If you keep that in mind, it'll, it'll keep you from making a mistake. It's a resurrection of life. It means a change in the body. And a change to be given a body like unto Jesus' body. This is the, what's called a resurrection of life. It's a general sort of term, and it refers to the changing of the bodies of all saved people to be like Jesus' body. Right now, up in heaven, there's all kinds of saved people from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. The next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture, the catching away, the coming of the Lord Jesus in the clouds. Not to earth, but just in the clouds. The trumpet will sound. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be caught up. Our bodies will be changed. Those dear saints that have gone on before, they'll be given new bodies. Our bodies will be changed. This is all part of the first resurrection. And here at the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennial kingdom, all those martyred saints during the tribulation, they'll be given resurrection bodies too. So this is the first resurrection. It deals with giving, it's the resurrection of life is what it is. The resurrection of life. And because there's a first resurrection, there must be a second resurrection. And both these resurrections are actually separated by a thousand years. There are two resurrections. Through the Catholic Church, through the Anglican Church, and through a couple of others, they talk about a general resurrection. There is no such thing as a general resurrection where all, everyone is all brought up, put before God, and some are put into heaven and some are put into hell. There's nothing like that. The Bible doesn't speak of that. Now, the Bible does use a couple of verses where you might sort of get that impression. But that's why you have to keep in mind the resurrection of life. There are two resurrections. There's the first and the second. The first resurrection is a resurrection of life. The second resurrection is not. It's a resurrection of death. So if you keep those two in mind, it'll save you from making mistakes. And so... We're talking about a general term, a first resurrection, changing the bodies of all saved people to be like Jesus' body. He has got a resurrection body. He's the first fruits. And it started with the rapture, which has not happened yet. And it'll include right up to the very beginning of the millennial kingdom. Those martyr saints are given resurrection bodies. The saved out of the tribulation will have their bodies changed. And this resurrection, the first resurrection and the second resurrection are separated by a thousand years. Now in our next lesson, we're going to talk more about this. We come to verse 6 and we're going to finish here. Verse 6 has four things to say about those who are part of the first resurrection, the resurrection of life. Now that'll include us. Verse 6, blessed 
and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So they are indeed blessed. Listen, my Christian friend, never stop giving God thanks for your salvation. May you never let a day go by without thanking God you're saved. Don't make that mistake. Don't show yourself unthankful every single day. Give him thanks and glory and praise for saving your soul. So this is the first thing, blessed. Uh, the second thing here is that the second death hath no power. Now, on them, it has no power. On us, it has no power. And we're going to learn more about that in our next lesson. The third thing, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ's. They and us, we shall be given the greatest relationship with God and job to do in the millennial kingdom, and that's to be priests. And then finally, and shall reign with him a thousand years. They and us will help Jesus Christ in the reigning over all the earth. Now, we must conclude. Our time is gone. My Christian friend, everything that this world has to offer you is going up in smoke, literally, before our very eyes. At a furious rate, things are passing away. Historic heat waves are now setting new records. Down in California, in a town called Death Valley, they just experienced 130 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 54.4 degrees Celsius. That's the kind of record heat waves that are beginning to happen around the world. Right now, millions of acres are up in flames, raging with fire in California and Oregon and Washington State. The skies here in town are turning an orange hue from the smoke coming up over the border. And you can smell it. Even into Kelowna, they've had some pretty hazy, orangey skies from the forest fires raging in the United States. I texted with a good preacher friend of mine who's down in California, a godly man, I love him dearly. And I asked him, have the fires reached your or affected your area? And he texted me back and he said, no, not yet, praise the Lord, but they sure are a wake up call. And I texted back, amen. You got that right. They're a wake-up call. That's what God is doing. The world seems to be going up in flames. Thousands of people have fled from their burning homes. And it wasn't that long ago we faced that here in British Columbia. And the smoke went up and came down here in the lower mainland, and we smelt it. Tropical hurricanes are now beginning gang up, not just one at a time, but they're starting to gang up. These are new things, creating even more destruction. Political unrest and rebellion are making news headlines today over in Belarus and uh, down in the states, throughout the states, and even protests across Canada and so on. In the midst of it all, listen to this. Israel is about to sign the first leg of a peace treaty next week on Tuesday, September 15th. That's when they will meet in Washington, D.C. 
and will sign the first leg of an historic peace treaty. It's all happening before our eyes. These are definitely warning signs from a merciful God to a sinful world. You say, well, how many years do we have left to preach the gospel, to try and get Surrey saved? How many years do we have left? And it's anyone's guess. But if we're smart, we're going to use our lives wisely in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I encourage you with all my heart, don't waste needless time, talents, or treasures on things of the world. Let's serve our King because He's coming back and He'll be here before we know it. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank You that we serve a risen Savior, a coming King. Thank You that in Christ we're on the winning side. These are amazing things that will be taking place. And even now we can start to see how they will be happening. Father, help and use us, please, to be channels of the gospel and blessing to people all around us. Please, we pray, take us to our homes tonight with thoughts of eternity and help us to live for Jesus. In his name, we humbly pray. Amen.